And we welcome you this morning to Bible class as we continue our study of the book of Colossians. And we welcome all that are here and all those on KFUO radio. Today, we're in chapter 2, beginning at verse 16. Chapter 2, verse 16. And this is a very important section of Colossians. In these next few verses, we're going to come as close as we can to having some idea of what this Colossian heresy was all about but it's still pretty sketchy. So, therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with, in regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. All right. Now, the Jews knew of these kind of references because they celebrated these things. These things were um, prescribed in the Old Testament by God. There were limits on what they could eat and drink, clean and unclean, festivals, uh, not so much new moons, but Sabbaths. We think, we're not sure. We think that this Colossian heresy actually incorporated some things from Judaism. And they may have prescribed these same kind of things or some of the same things in this heresy, whatever it was. People were used to this. They could eat things, not eat things. They observed several uh, uh, festivals, of course, the Sabbath day. But it says, let no one pass judgment on you. In other words, let no one pass judgment on you if you don't keep these things. So it was not a, 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 a factor of being persecuted for keeping them, it was for not keeping them, okay? Let no one pass judgment on you. And then here's the verse that we need to focus on. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Now, We've always talked about how the things in the Old Testament foreshadowed Christ, pointed to Christ. The sacrificial system pointed to Christ. Okay? Clean and unclean foods, that was to approach God, to be clean before God. The keeping of the Sabbath day from the very beginning uh, for the rest of the people so they could rest one day a week. The different festivals that the Jews prescribed, they were all the shadow, the foreshadowing of Christ. 
Now, the best way to understand this is if you see a shadow, if I cast a shadow, okay, the shadow is not the substance. The shadow points you to the body that is causing the shadow, bringing about the shadow. And so the shadow are these things that were in the Old Testament, but the substance, the casting of the shadow was Christ. So these things are just a shadow, but the substance is Christ. So there was a shadow okay, of the sacrificial system in the Old Testament as each sacrifice was spelled out in Leviticus. And the, the exact ways these were to be done. But what were they ultimately the shadow of? The ultimate sacrifice, which was Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. It is on this basis, and this is the prime passage, where it's made clear it is no longer necessary to keep these regulations of the Old Testament. It's not that they were evil, and it's not that they were wrong. They were given by God, but they were only the shadow. When Christ comes, he is the fulfillment of all these things. Therefore, you no longer have to sacrifice an animal to pay for your sins because Christ has paid for them on the cross of Calvary. So the shadow is not the substance. Christ is the substance. Christ is the substance. And so when Christ comes, we focus on him and not the shadow. I'll try to illustrate it another way. If two people are engaged and yet they're living 200 miles from each other, and they are constantly reminded of each other by talking on the phone or looking at pictures. Once they get married, it'd be time to stupid to focus on pictures. They're there. So, you don't focus on all this stuff in the Old Testament because he's there. Jesus Christ has come.
And so our focus, the substance, is on him. Everybody with me? Okay. So the focus is on Christ. He's trying to take their focus off of these other things and put them where the true meaning is. Now we begin to get into some of the real description of what was going on in this Colossian heresy. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. All right. That's the bulk of it right there. Now, asceticism. The actual word there is humiliate or humiliation. And this is referred, uh, referred to later on. We believe that they actually were involved in bodily abuse. You would abuse your own body. This is not unheard of. Luther flogged himself uh, when he was a monk. But this is sometime, uh, some kind of self-abuse. And then the mention of the worship of angels. Now, in the area where Colossae was and where Laodicea was, it's called Phrygia. And there was known to be some worship of angel. This was not unknown to them. The worship of angels is very natural in a, a Gnostic Kind of thought because in Gnosticism, remember, all material things are evil, but spiritual things are good, and spiritual things emanate from God. So angels would be looked at as emanations from God, something you should seek, beings you should seek to please. Now, what we begin to get a picture of here is a religion that called on things, even self-abuse, the worship of emanations, angels, and this is the way you made yourself acceptable to God. The emphasis here is on what you're doing. And of course, that is totally opposed to what Paul is teaching, that you're saved by faith. So they're being directed to their own actions. Now, the next phrase is very difficult, but I've already discussed it. Going on in detail about visions. Now, it does talk about what they see, but there's a, a Greek word there. And when you look at it, basically, we don't know what it means. Okay. But it is used at times 
in mystic religion in the Greek world. And it's used of rites of initiation. Okay. So what it may mean here is going on in detail about the rites of initiation, which we don't know anything about. But there may have been a rite of initiation that we are unsure of. That's as close as we can come to knowing anything about this phrase. That maybe the people who were following this Colossian heresy were indeed, there were rites of initiation and there were certain things they had to do bodily uh, to be a part of this religion. That's about all we can say. But what does Paul say of all these things? Puffed up. Without reason. In other words, it's stooped. <laughs> By his sensuous mind, okay? So in other words, he's saying these kind of things come out of an evil heart. These things come out of an evil heart. And they're focused on self, but not the substance, Christ. Huh? Yeah. Okay, it says unspiritual in some translations. These things are not of God. That's what Paul's saying. They've missed the mark. They're focused on a shadow. A bad shadow, not on Christ. They're focused on themselves, not on Christ. And that's what he says. And not holding fast to the head. That is capitalized. It refers to Jesus Christ. From whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God, okay? We are nourished. Uh, today we received the Lord's Supper in the early service. When you receive the Lord's Supper, you are nourished. You grow in faith. When you hear the word, you are nourished. You grow in faith. You cannot grow in faith unless your focus is on the head, Jesus Christ, and not your own things, what you are doing, and some religion that causes you to think that because you do these things, you are pleasing to God. You're focusing on the wrong things. Focus on the head. Focus on Christ. So that's applicable to us today. Because any time our focus becomes something or someone apart from Christ, we're going to lose focus. And we may be deceived by what we're told or what we hear. We have to keep 
our focus on Christ all the time, all the time, then we will grow, okay? We will grow. All right, let's look at verse 20. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. All right. If with Christ you died, when you are with Christ, he's referring to baptism. When you are baptized into Jesus Christ, you are with Christ. He is with you and in you. Okay? With you and in you. When you are with and in Christ, you are dead to the things of this world. The elemental spirits, and still here he's definitely referring to the demonic. Okay. You're dead to those things. You're dead to the old Adam. You're dead to the old man. You're dead. Then why in the world would you submit to regulations? Because if you do, you're still alive to the world. You're not dead in Christ. You're either alive to the world or you're dead in Christ. If you're following all these regulations, you're still alive to the world. You're not dead in Christ. That's the implication. That's the implication. So do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Okay? So human regulation. If you're focused on those things, then you're not focused on Christ. Okay? So be very leery of man-made rules, okay? And they do exist, and sometimes you even hear them in the church, okay? Sometimes things get elevated higher than they should be, and they have no scriptural foundation. So, we need to be careful of these things, and and many times it's it's uh, it's acts of piety. I say my prayers in the morning and read the Bible in the morning, and then someone says I do it at the end of the day, and the person says I do it in the morning, and that's the proper time to do it. Okay, wrong. But sometimes these acts of piety get blown out of proportion. Okay. All right. So it says, uh, referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion. And notice what it says, an asceticism 
and severity to the body. That's why we believe this asceticism uh, refers to abuse of your own body, severity to the body. But they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. They may sound good. They may sound like wisdom. They may sound like you ought to do that. But in reality, the only thing that stops sin is Jesus Christ. He forgives it, and he works a new person in us, so we are dead to sin and alive to Christ. Okay? So there's no sense in focusing on this self-made religion. There's a lot of it going around. There's a lot of it going around. There's a lot of people preaching lots of things, and they're not scripturally based. There are ways to live your life, and they don't all include Christ. So we have to listen carefully. Carefully. All right. Any questions or comments before we go to chapter 3? I'm glad you all totally understand that. The test will be next week. Okay, chapter 3. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Okay. This is all referring to baptism. But there are some very important concepts here. If you have been raised with Christ, you have been through your baptism. But here's the emphasis. You already have eternal life. Your eternal life has begun. It does not start the day you die. You have it now. Already. Your eternal life has begun. Already in this world. Since it has. And the implication is it has then seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Seek the things of Christ. Seek the things of Christ. Things above. Not the worldly, earthly things, as Paul just discussed. Seek the things above at the right hand of God. This is where Christ has ascended. The Father has recognized his perfect sacrifice, and he has been elevated to the throne of God. He now and the Father 
rule as co-regents of the universe. Seek the things that belong to him and not the things that belong to this world. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Okay? Not on things that are on the earth. Because your eternal life has begun. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Okay. Does the world look at you and say, golly, they're living forever? <laughs> no. They don't see it. It's hidden. You're hidden in Christ. Your eternal life has become, begun, but the world does not know it. You are hidden in Christ. When Christ who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. When he comes again, it's going to be revealed to the world that you had eternal life and were in Christ. And it's not only going to be revealed, it's going to be revealed in glory, and you're going to be partakers of that glory because you are in and with Christ. So what it's saying is, since this is true, and even though we're hidden in Christ, we already have eternal life, and we ought to be focused on the things above. We ought to be focused on the Christ-like things and not the things on this earth. By the way, that reading... Colossians 3, 1 to 4 is many times the epistle reading on Easter Day. And you can see why. The epistle reading on Easter Day. All right, now, he's going to talk now to us about what happens as people who are in Christ and their eternal life is assured. What does that look like for the person living in this world until it's revealed? And that's what begins in verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Again, baptism language. What is er in you, earthly in you? Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil, desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Okay, why, why are all these things called idolatry? Because all these sins worship self. It's what you want to do, your desire, your heartfelt desire, and it's putting what you want to do before what God wants. Remember that in the Old Testament, throughout the Old Testament, 
when the people worshipped other gods. God referred to it as idolatry, but he also referred to it as adultery. Going after other gods was considered adultery. Here, he's saying this kind of adulterous behavior is putting yourself first and God last, and it's idolatry. Remember the temptation of Adam and Eve. Satan said to them, eat of the tree, you will be like God. The ultimate temptation of any person, no matter what the temptation is, is to do what you want and not what God wants, and therefore you're making yourself and your desires first. You're God. And all temptation has its root in wanting you to forsake God and go your own self-willed sinful way. Okay? So it's idolatrous. And six, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. The wrath of God is coming. They are not going to be go without punishment. Not going to go without punishment. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. Okay? Now, this refers to them before they came to Christ. This refers to them before they came to Christ. But now, you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off. Now, put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. <clears throat> the old self is that which is the old Adam. Okay? The old Adam, the sin that we inherited from Adam. That's the old self. That's the old Adam. We are to put it off. Now, this is also baptismal language because used to, as I, I think I explained once before, when a person was baptized, they took the garment off they were baptized in and put a new garment on. Signifies that the old is dead, the new has come. The old self is the old Adam. The new self is the new Adam, who is Jesus Christ. Okay? So when we are baptized, we 
put off the old and we put on the new, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Now, the image of God, when Adam and Eve were first created, they had the perfect image of God. Doesn't mean they looked like him, but it meant they were righteous and holy and did not sin. That was the image of God. When Adam and Eve sinned, that image was totally lost. Because now we are in sin. The goal of Jesus Christ is to restore the image of God, to restore the image of God in us. That's what he's about, to restore things the way God wanted them in the first place before there was sin. That's why it says, being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator, God. So the work of God, and it begins at your baptism, is to restore in you the image of God. Now, it's not going to be perfectly restored as long as you're in this world. But it will be on the day of your death or on the day of his second coming. And then that perfect image will be restored in you. Okay? In you. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all in all. What does Christ being all in all mean? It means that everything that God has said is fulfilled in him and that all things has been, have been subjected to him and he is all in all. It's all been done in Jesus Christ. This is also an emphasis on the fact, don't look anywhere else. Don't look at self-made man religion. Don't look at rules and regulations and keeping them as the way to earn the favor of God. It's all in Christ. And it was given to you at baptism. At baptism. And then he speaks of the other side. Verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, <clears throat> kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with under, uh, one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you almost also must forgive. 
Here is the new life being described. Notice he calls them chosen ones, okay? Holy, beloved. These are children of God. Through baptism, we are chosen. We are holy. We are beloved. Now, how do people that are chosen, holy, beloved, and are going to heaven, already have eternal life, live in this world with compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. That is the life we are now called on to live. Are we going to be able to do that every day? No. We have the forgiveness of Christ, but this is what we strive for. As people that are citizens of heaven already, this is the life we strive to lead to put off and then to put on. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. This text, by the way, from uh, 12 to 17 is a frequently uh, read text uh, for weddings. For weddings. Okay. Because this is the way two Christians should treat each other in marriage. Okay, so put on love. Everything uh, ties together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Now, how do we do all this? He tells us. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another. Let the word of Christ dwell in you. He's pointing to worship. He's pointing to worship. Because it is there that we hear and are nourished and fed by the Word of God. It is the Word of God that empowers us to do everything he's talking about. Let it dwell in you richly, richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. And notice, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Okay, so this is a description of worship. The word is central. But even in the music we sing, that music is based on the word of God and teaches us more about God. It is a conveyor. Music is a conveyor to us of gospel. 
And that's why we don't sing just any old thing in church. As some people want to do. Because it doesn't convey the gospel. It doesn't convey the gospel. I'm not saying that only hymns in the hymnal convey the gospel, but I'm saying the music we use in church needs to convey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ in its truth and purity. So we're not just willy-nilly about what any part of worship that we do, because it all has to center on Christ. Everything we do in our lives needs to center on Jesus Christ. Center on him. When his word is what we check everything in our life about, that's going to guide us in these things. Okay? That's going to guide us in these things. Do it all with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Okay? Giving thanks to God the Father through him. Okay, I'm going to take a couple of questions. People are already coming in kindergarten through fourth grade time for school, and none of us wants to get killed in the rush. So... We need to move this along. Yeah, but Yeah, yeah. Uh, and what Bud is saying is, uh, the first four verses sound like we ought to just pack up and live in the desert. But Paul knows that as people of the cross, Christians, we have to live in this world. So the rest of the chapter, 5 through 17, how does a person who is a Christian live in the world? You can't move out. What do you avoid and what do you do? That's what's described after verse 5 to verse 17 in chapter 3. Okay? So Paul always does this in his letters. He, he, there's extensive teaching of the gospel. And then, how do, how do we live our lives in this gospel? Okay, yeah, hidden only from the standpoint that they don't see that you have eternal life. It's not that you're to be hiding the fact that you're a Christian, but what you're going to inherit is hidden, eternal life. All right, remember, we do not meet next week, okay, the day after Christmas. We start again on January the 2nd, and we'll pick up Colossians at that time. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Amen.